Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. And so they said, yeah, we're going to keep you overnight. And then I overheard one of the nurses that night talking about how I probably wasn't going to get to go home the next day. And I was like, wait a second, what? Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. It's like <laughs> it's like kind of like oof. It's like time change day today for us. It's, it's daylight savings. I know. We're all sacrificing it's a, it's a, a lot messy. to save some daylight. I know. Is that worth it? I don't know. Like everyone's tired. Kids are going to be on edge. Uh huh. Everything seems out a little out of whack for a few days. Yeah, I know. It's it's one of those messy times. Yeah. How was your week? It was okay. <laughs> it's always a very difficult question when you ask me that because I never know what I've done. Yeah, you just like get through the week blocking everything out. Yeah, pretty much. Nothing too big happened except yesterday was the like third anniversary of Anthony's death. I, like, how has it been three – how has it only been three years, but already been three years? Yeah, I know. It's really – time is a construct. Time isn't real. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But I thought we, like, celebrated his life in a really nice way yesterday. Yeah, we had fun. You came over and we decorated some cookies. I just got this, like, silly little cookie decorating kit from Costco. And then we went sledding, and that was really fun. I always, like – forget how fun sledding is it's so freaking fun yeah it feels like a to-do until you're doing it and then you're like this is great I know you just want to keep doing it yeah and there's like a hill right across the street from your house I know it's perfect it's like the perfect size it's like you get to the bottom and you don't like dread going back up because it's not super steep but it's like still really fun yeah and it was a beautiful day out it was it was it was perfect it was gorgeous Yeah. yeah and then I tried to have a little nap in the afternoon, which didn't go great because Claire, my five-year-old, just literally barges into my room for anything and everything. And not only is it her coming into my room, it's her tablet. Yeah. So it's like this volume blasting show coming in and she stomps like an elephant. So it's just like ridiculous. Um, I have so much laundry to fold. It's not even funny. It's like all surrounding me right now. So I need to do that. But we watched uh, a movie last night. We watched The Adam Project, which was super duper good. Yeah, um, I'd never with, even heard of it. It just came out on Netflix. It's with Ryan Reynolds and Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo are in it and they play husband and wife. And it's basically like 13 going on 30, the sequel, which just made oh, my little... is, you posted that to your stories. Yeah. And I didn't understand. I no, guess. it's not. It's not actually the sequel. It's just yeah. them 
in a movie together and yeah. it just made my little millennial heart happy and yeah it was really good it was about I mean it was about a dad dying so that wasn't great but like every movie is about a parent dying these days so yeah can't really get away from it but yeah how about you yeah I think it was okay I had like kind of a sad week the grief monster I just like I'm over it why can't grief be linear obviously I'm not over it because I'm sobbing but <laughs> like why can't it just be like step one step two step three and then and then you're done and then you're good yeah but like um yeah I was like fine one week then I was pissed off the next week that's when mm-hmm. we recorded the patreon then mm-hmm. I was sad then I was sort of numb yeah anyway I had to run to the bank the other day and I had to wait for Lindsay. And so I was just sitting there waiting. And this old man was standing at the teller talking her ear off. And this man looked nothing like my dad. I don't think they were mm-hmm. the same age. This man was older than my dad. And I just started sobbing because I was thinking yeah. like, oh, yeah, my dad used to do that. And then I couldn't stop sobbing. So then Lindsay came and I like pulled it together. We did what we needed to do. And then when I got home... She was like, I didn't want to acknowledge it because I felt like, and I was like, no, that was the right thing to do. But then I like sobbed and laughed. Oh my gosh. For like 10 minutes. I know. It's so frustrating. I remember being like in that early stages of grief and it just being like so unpredictable and so frustrating because you can't, you can't control it you can't change it you can't you know I was I remember being like in Walmart after Anthony died and literally having a panic attack like walking through the aisles because I'm like grocery shopping and my husband's dead and it's like this doesn't make any sense grief is unpredictable and it is annoying to me because I like to be in control and I like to know the plan yep even if the plan isn't great, if I know the plan, then I can manage yeah. it. But like grief is planless. Yeah. And like you plan your day and then it can be completely derailed because you're you're sad or you're mad or you're, you know, numb or you're whatever. So yeah. it's just hard. I feel but yeah. Spring is in the air. The weather's been so lovely. Yeah, it has. I'm like in the spring cleaning mood. I just want to like get rid of everything I own. Yeah, I'm excited to be able to like open the windows and, you know, just, I don't know, just get some more stuff done that I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how else my week was. I can't stop thinking about the stupid wheels or doors. Oh, yeah. So there's this whole debate. Is there more? Are there more wheels in the world or are there more doors? And like, where did this start? Where did you hear this? On TikTok. It's ruined my brain. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about. Like me, me, Lindsay and Olivia yesterday were talking about it. Uh-huh. And then we started thinking like, do cupboard doors count as doors? Or when you say doors, do you mean where a body can pass through? Yeah, like, so there that's another thing that people are kind of debating. Is a door something that opens up into another room or like another place where you walk through it? Or, yeah, is it like a cupboard door? For me, I think it's anything that opens up into something else. So a cupboard door opens up into a cupboard, right? Like, it wouldn't be like a fake door like on a Hot Wheels car. It would be anything that you can physically open. The wheel of a Hot Wheels car count as a wheel. Yes. See, I was team wheels for for the 24 hours that I knew about this before we started talking about it. I was team wheels because... Because you had said, like, okay, a car has four wheels, but it also has four doors. Yeah. Like, bikes, tricycles, motorcycles, those Mm -hmm. all have wheels with no doors. Shopping carts, 
you know, like I could go on and on. And I was like, oh, chairs, chairs, luggage. Yeah. So I was like, oh, wheels for sure. And then you pointed out, do cupboards count? And we counted something like 47 doors just in our house. Yeah. Yeah. If you count cupboards, closets, everything. Are we counting like a washing machine door and like a dryer door? Yeah. Like if you count a cupboard door, you got to count a dryer door. Yeah. That's what I would think, right? Freezer door, fridge door, oven door. Oh, God. Yeah. So so then do those actually count or not? Like who started this and who can I ask? I guess it's like uh, maybe is it everything on a hint? No, it can't be everything on a hint because then that would just be like too crazy. That'd be too crazy because that'd be like gates. But like I don't consider a gate a door because. Why not? I don't know. <laughs> What about like a patio sliding door? That's not on a hinge, but it's a door that you open and close and move from one space to another. And it has a door in the title. Like it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But then wheels. And then think about in in one grocery store, how many shopping carts there are. And every shopping cart has four wheels. Yeah. But then if you think how many like when you go down the refrigerator section, those are all doors. Think about in an airport. How many pieces of luggage have wheels? Yeah. And the planes have wheels. But the planes but then have how doors, many, but not right. as many doors. But there's doors yeah, within it. Guys, I can't. This is something that we'll never have a definitive answer on. Yeah. I haven't come across this on TikTok. Like, is it like a trending thing? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me. You're not on the trendy side of TikTok. <laughs> I'm not something will come up and I'll be like, oh my God. No, the side of TikTok that I've been on is the Chelsea Hart and Lance So Modern Warrior. Yes. That's that's messy. Oh my gosh. It's It's so funny when like everyone's for you page ends up being the exact same thing. Yeah. It's so entertaining. And Yeah. yeah, all the like you can't say Say or do anything on TikTok if you're a big creator without it being, like, duplicated, mocked, like, turned into a parody of itself. Like, it's just crazy. I don't know if this already exists, but we should start a podcast. TM, 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 if anybody, nobody Mm -hmm. steal this idea. We should start a podcast. It's just, like, a short one where we cover what's trending in the week for, like, tweens and teens oh yeah because like to help parents understand like what's going on yeah like what did adrian say the other day and we're like we don't i i don't know i have no idea he said some sort of acronym and i was like i don't i don't know like Like, what what that is to like i didn't know what yeet was for too long i didn't know yeah she like yeah i don't know how we get this information because we are not cool enough well, I think we ask my 13-year-old. <laughs> yeah. We'll be like, okay, kids, you. we could have people write in and say, I need an explanation of this. We'll deep dive, find it out, and explain it. This is genius. We have to do this. We need to start another podcast, like, immediately. Yeah, and it would be called... Teen Talk. Teen Talk. <laughs> God, but yeah, I was thinking that because there are so many things that are I know. 
and I I said this the other day I was like I literally went from being a teenager whose parents didn't understand me to now being a parent who doesn't understand their teenager like I don't know how this happened I don't know when I stopped being 17 but like I I don't appreciate it you know like I to go from that teenager who's like oh my parents don't understand anything I'm saying to now being that parent like that sucks that's a rude awakening it really is and like we're pretty cool i think i mean we have tiktok we have a podcast (laughs) we're as cool as it gets but like we still don't understand what's going on yeah i know Lindsay's daughter was trying to teach me the woe when it was cool on tiktok and And that was like three years ago yeah i know and i couldn't get it and it was i mean it was great entertainment but yeah, the woe is gone, the yeet is gone, the she is gone, like, the, there's, like, it's all gone. It ha- it's comes and goes so fast. I know. We need to we think need of a, a platform. We're going to be, like, a daily podcast. Just, like, a quick, like, boo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo, yeah. just in. Breaking, Breaking news. news. Yeah. You might see your kid doing this, and this is what it means. <laughs> and all the emojis mean something different that we don't know, like, no. Every emoji means like something, I don't know. It's like their own language. Yeah. Well, we need to get to the bottom of this and we do. I don't know. Let us know. Maybe we'll put it in our stories this week of should we do this and what would what could we figure out this idea. Yeah. We're doing it. But anyway, this week I'm excited about this episode. We talk with a fellow Canadian named Heather, who is a singer-songwriter. But I did want to put a trigger warning ahead of this episode because we do talk about, again, attempted suicide or suicide, suicidal thoughts and mm-hmm. self-harm. And I think it's just important that we like put that out there because not everybody's Absolutely. in the right head frame. Head frame? Head space? Head frame? Head frame? Head space? <laughs> head frame? <laughs> to listen to something at that time. Yeah. And so I think yeah. that's totally valid. And so take care of yourself and make sure you're reaching out if you need support. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I downloaded her album. She is really good. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Okay. Let's get into it then. Okay. (laughs) Hello, Heather. Hello. How are you? Awesome. How are you? Good. How's your weekend? Pretty good. Just just getting started. It's an hour earlier here, so I'm still got kind of the day in front of me and yeah, it's, oh, yeah. it's so it beautiful. Is. Oh, I bet you're in Vancouver, right? On Vancouver Island, yeah. So it's oh, wow. sunny in like 9 or 10, I think it's supposed to be this weekend. No snow, oh. obviously. So. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. I think we're like going to be about zero and I'm very excited about it. It just won't stop snowing though. Yeah. Oh, really? Snowing like randomly. Yeah. Well, we found you on TikTok and I was so excited. So thanks for messaging us back. <laughs> thanks for getting in touch. Yeah. Your videos are really funny and your story seems really interesting. Why don't we have you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into your story. For sure. So I'm Heather. I was born blind. I live on the west coast of Canada. I'm a singer-songwriter. I have four albums out so far, one that just came out, 
And I recently finished writing my memoir called Holding On By Letting Go that basically details my life as a blind person in Canada and Latin America and coinciding with that, my struggles with my mental health from a young age, which ultimately culminated in me being hospitalized for psychiatric care during the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, wow. Wow. I feel like you're so young to have like a memoir. Like how old are you? <laughs> I'm 33. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess I, yeah. But I guess you've lived a whole life to like have a memoir about it. Yeah, I know. I felt super weird about writing it because I was like, I probably should be older to write this, but I really wanted to get like the hospital parts down while it was still yeah. really fresh in my mind. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and that just means you have time to write part two. Like, <laughs> the sequel. Older. Yeah. There you go. yeah. That's incredible. Wow. So you said you were born blind. Yes. Is there like a diagnosis or there like a, I don't know, like we've interviewed somebody with retinitis pigmentosa. Yeah, so it's called Leber's congenital amaurosis. As it's actually sort of in the same family as RP, so it's it's quite similar, except that it the onset is a lot earlier. So basically, you're either born blind or potentially. Apparently, I might have been able to see for like a month or two of my life, but I don't oh. really remember that. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's not one of your core memories, being like a month old. And <laughs> <laughs> I wish. And so how did your parents find out that you couldn't see? So basically when I was a few months old, they, they took me to the pediatrician because they started to notice that I wasn't really looking at things or focusing on things in my environment like other babies did. And the pediatrician was kind of like, yeah, something doesn't seem quite right there. So then it was, you know, a ton of different specialists and everything trying to figure out what was wrong. Back then, I think it was a lot more challenging so it took probably until I was three maybe to get an actual diagnosis but they they knew before then that I couldn't see but obviously you know I'm not communicating when I'm like a year old so they don't really know to what extent and things like that yeah that's so hard with babies because yeah you can't get feedback from them on what's wrong or what's different yeah, it's tough. And, you know, they have to worry about other milestones as well. So often, you know, sometimes I know I didn't crawl like at all for for whatever reason, I really hated it. So I went Ugh. straight from like, sitting to walking. So there are some <laughs> like, you know, different milestones that I think it's it's nerve wracking as a parent too, because they're also wondering like, what else is going on if there's, you know, there were some early reports for me that said, you know, there might be cognitive issues going on, which they quickly put to rest but at the time I think it was really stressful for my parents because they knew I was blind but it was like well what else is going on yeah, yeah. do you have any siblings just one he's older oh, okay older okay yeah that's probably yes. such a difference right when you when you see your child and you're like oh they're hitting all these milestones and you have another child and it's like oh like what's going on here like they're not hitting the same the same things right yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess all kids hit milestones a little bit differently, but it was definitely, yeah, it's, it's I don't know, non-conventional, I guess, but there yeah. were some milestones, like I talked super early, so there were some, some I hit really early. Do you remember, I guess, I don't know how to phrase this question, but do you remember at what age you learned that you were blind? Sort of, like, I think there wasn't really a clear, like, 
moment for me when I knew like it was always something that people like my parents kind of talked about around me like yeah the other people can see these things you can't see these things but it was never really something I think when you're a kid you're kind of in your bubble and you're super self-absorbed and stuff so it was never really something that I thought about as like you know society views me differently until I was I guess probably in kindergarten and then I there was an incident on the playground with a bully who kind of made me realize like okay I am different and then sort of from then on I started really noticing that other people like even adults were were awkward around me so that was kind of my introduction to like okay whoa like the world this isn't you know quote unquote normal but before then for me it was like yeah I'm blind like I have brown hair and blue eyes you know whatever yeah yeah that's yeah Yeah, that's that's so interesting that's just concept yeah yeah that's what I was gonna say it's like you everything seems typical and then one person like I don't know, can have this impact on you. And then you're like, oh, wait a second. Like things are different, you know, like, and that just kind of shapes everything. Yeah. Yeah. It totally does. Like I remember (laughs) lying there on the playground because he, he pushed me backwards off the slide and he yelled something rude about me being blind or whatever. And I, I still remember like to this day lying there and being like, I'm different. And I, this will never change. This is forever. And when you're five years old, forever is a really long time. My God, that makes me so sad. Like, who is this bully? I will find him. <laughs> like, what a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder, like, what became of him? Because, I mean, obviously, he learned that from somewhere. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Wow. And so, do you, I guess then, do you remember what age? So, five, you sort of realized, like, oh, wow. But when did that sort of bubble burst for you in terms of society and getting this impression that, things were just different. I think it was pretty soon after that because I really started to pay attention more to the people around me and how they were treating me compared to like my classmates and stuff. And I guess like five is kind of the magic age when, you know, this bully obviously realized it and my classmates started to realize it as well. So I guess, you know, by five, you have enough Exposure to the world that the world unfortunately has already taught us to fear differences yeah and I guess in so like when you were five it would have been like early 90s I guess yeah like yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think I'm 38 so I was trying to do the math and, and that yeah and so what was support like going to school like was it just assumed that you would go to a typical school and just be integrated into the class Yeah, so by that point, most kids were being mainstreamed. I think there was and there still is one school for the blind in Canada. There's some in the U.S., but for the most part, parents were opting to keep their kids at home so they wouldn't have to send them away to school. So yeah, I was mainstreamed from the very beginning, which was great in a lot of ways because Honestly, like some of the people that come out of the schools for the blind, we call them braille jails. <laughs> and they, I don't know, like they have this, they struggle, I guess, to deal with the bigger world because they've sort of had everything ideally set up for them as a blind yeah. person and the real world doesn't work that way. So it's it's a big adjustment, I think, for them. 
the trade-off is that they are getting all the supports they need as kids. So for me, it was really hard for my parents to get funding for my education. Adaptive technology costs a lot of money. Fortunately, now there's a lot of, you know, Macs and iPhones and everything have screen reading software built in. But back then it cost like thousands of dollars even to get like textbooks and class assignments and stuff in braille it was a real challenge so that was that was the hard part of it was just trying not to fall behind because I didn't have access to all the information at the same time as my classmates did yeah that must have been I always think when we interview somebody who would have grown up without all of this technology that we're so lucky to have now because yeah there would have been so many more struggles just to get you integrated into like a classroom setting yeah yeah and it was your, a lot of work yeah and did your parents really try to sort of like put you in a bubble and keep you safe or were they trying to just put you into the real world and have you face it yeah I was really fortunate in that way because I think unfortunately a lot of people who have kids with disabilities try to protect them from the world and you just can't. So that ends up just making things harder in the end. So for me, no, it was very much, you know, I was encouraged to go outside, play, get dirty, fall down, get back up again, things like that, you know, rough house with my brother and my cousins. And so it was like a fairly quote unquote normal, like rough and tumble childhood, you know, bike rides, skiing. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. I mean, like you said, the world isn't going away, right? So no. you need to know what's out there and how to adapt to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. So when you were you were talking about – sorry, I had to step out because my children are obscenely loud. But <laughs> you were talking about like equipment and stuff like that when you were growing up. Were, were there supports for your family in helping you get that kind of – like uh, a walking cane or things like that? Or was it just kind of like, I know there's so many things now, like there's physical therapy and things like that. But how did they get those things for you when you were that young? So there were supports, but it is, and it is still a fight to get them, unfortunately. So if you don't have a parent who advocates you for you, it's super easy to fall through the cracks. So it was like, almost a full-time job for my mom to try and get the funding that I needed to you know even be able to learn how to use a cane because there's actually you know a special they're called orientation and mobility instructors or O&Ms but that costs a lot of money and you have to be able to you know get government supports to be able to pay for that so it is it's a struggle and it's still a struggle it's it's hard and it's sad to see you know remembering how my parents advocated and then seeing that it's still you know it it really hasn't changed so that's really unfortunate yeah because you would hope you know 30 years later things were a little bit easier for these families yeah yeah it's tough there are definitely like parent support groups and things like that that you can take part in and they will help you advocate and things like that but it's it's a ton of advocacy work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. When you were in school, did you have like an aide with you or were you just at school f- figuring it out? So it depended on the class. For some classes like math, I usually had somebody. I had 
an EA, but she was basically more just to braille my assignments, like not so much to sit in class with me, especially when I got older. So she taught me braille, like when everybody else was learning print. Well, actually, I kind of had to learn both. But when everybody else was learning like cursive writing and things, I would be taken out of class and I would they would teach me braille and stuff. So she was more like for that sort of thing rather than, you know, guiding me around the school or things like that, right. just making sure my materials were brailled. Oh, wow. Um, what was it like going? Yeah. So when you in BC, is it like you do elementary, then junior high, then high school? Did you have to change buildings? Yeah. So I went to school in Alberta. So it was, yeah. Element. Oh. So kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> kindergarten, elementary, junior high. And high school, I think it's actually like kind of different in BC, like the actual grades. I'm not sure. But yeah, I went to four different schools, I guess. Wow. And what was that like changing schools? Were you with a lot of the same peers or did you, what was it like sort of being the new kid or in a new space? I think, yeah, for a lot of like definitely throughout elementary school, I was with the same core group of people. And then I guess in junior high and high school, There were some of the same people, but we definitely got students from others like coming from all different elementary schools. It was always in a bit of a bit of an adjustment to change schools and things like that. So I would go in usually with my O&M instructor before school actually started. So in the summer and familiarize myself a little bit with the buildings before, you know, it was super busy and the craziness that happens in the hallways between classes changing and stuff so I would go and it would be empty and learn my way around oh that's amazing how long does it usually take you to kind of like map a new a new place Hmm. it really depends on the place I pretty quickly I would say like a new school maybe a couple days that's impressive yeah it's, it's not and we have like tactile maps and things that we can look at too. I'm like really terrible at reading maps, but <laughs> but some people, yeah, really benefit from looking at or feeling, I guess, if you want to get technical about it, the, the raised lines on a map. Right. And so you talked a little bit up in the beginning about struggling with mental health. Can you talk a little bit about like how, when that started to present and what that was like? For sure. So when I was three, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And then when I was six, he left for the first time. And I think around that time, well, I mean, I was also starting to realize that people would get really weird around me. So there was a lot kind of going on. And I would get really anxious about changes in routine or the fear of people leaving, things like that. So probably by grade two, they started to send me home from school a lot because I would be sick all the time from anxiety. And the pediatrician, I I hope that it's getting better. But at that time, the pediatrician was just kind of like, well, she's an anxious kid. She'll grow out of it, which is really unfortunate because, you know, with any illness or most illnesses, the quicker you catch it, the easier it is to treat. So I struggled with anxiety throughout elementary school. And then by junior high, I was starting to feel more isolated from my peers. There was a lot of bullying that was going on. And I think the anxiety kind of led to depression because who wants to feel like that all the time? So you're kind of looking for this way out. Yeah. Oh, oh that's my gosh. I can't hard. imagine 
kids are so terrible. Like I have five, (laughs) I have five kids and just hearing about things going on in school and bullying, it's just unbelievable that people can be so cruel. So of course it's going to lead to anxiety about not wanting to go to school or not wanting to be around these people. Unfortunately, some of my kids struggle with anxiety as well. And I, I think now it is better that we're acknowledging the anxiety and giving them tools to help work through it. I think like you said, a lot of it back then was, oh, you'll grow out of it or, oh, you're just feeling, you know. Yeah. Get over it. (laughs) You're fine. Stop being anxious. Like, what are you anxious for? You know what I mean? So yeah, the number one thing to say to somebody, stop being anxious. That really helps. (laughs) Just, just stop. Yeah. So I, I would say it's definitely better now and there's more resources in the school, but I just couldn't imagine, you know, what you went through. That's awful. Yeah, yeah and it's, to have the, it's sad to hear that's still a thing, but... Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. And so I get, what was the point then that led you to um, being hospitalized for it? So I had struggled for years with major depressive episodes, and in November of 2018, I entered into one that just really didn't end, and it went on and on for months, and I got sicker. I stopped eating. I stopped sleeping. My hair was falling oh. out. And I was actually able to stay out of the hospital at that time. We kind of were getting to the point of no return and arranged an emergency meeting with my doctor who adjusted my meds, made sure I was getting more out of outpatient mental health supports and things were improving. And then the pandemic hit and everything just kind of fell apart because my doctors and therapists weren't seeing patients in person anymore. They weren't even doing video calls mm-hmm. at that point. Like nobody had a clue what was going on. So, oh, you know, without God. that visual, like they didn't really see that I had started to decline again. So for me, a big thing has always been about control. And the pandemic came and, and it felt like there was nothing I could control anymore except for mm. how and when I was going to die. So right. I, Gosh. you know, kind of got my affairs in order, made sure everything was ready. And for me, like a big thing f- with dealing with the depression for so many years, a coping me- mechanism I would use would be like these survival goals. Like I can't kill myself until I see my friend one more time, or I can't kill myself until I visit Mexico one more time, things like that. And then I would kind of count down to like when those things would happen. And then as soon as they happened, I would try and make plans for the next thing. So I could kind of continue on and COVID Mm -hmm. came and, and all of those survival goals were gone. We didn't know when or if any of that stuff would be possible. So it just, it got to the point where I was like, just really hopeless. And I hadn't been out I wasn't in far enough into recovery from my last major depressive episode to really be able to cope with it on my own. So yeah, I, I made plans. I got everything in order and kind of the last thing that I was going to do, I was like, you know what, I'll go to the hospital because I wasn't 
seeking at that point. I mean, I guess in retrospect, I must have had a little bit of hope, but at the time I wasn't seeking, I didn't want to get better. I was just seeking Mm -hmm. absolution. So when I was gone, my family and friends would be like, oh, well, she went to the hospital. She tried, but I didn't actually expect them to keep me. I expected at most it was going to be like a 24 hour delay in my plans, but I ended up being hospitalized under the BC Mental Health Act as an involuntary patient. So I couldn't leave. Wow. And were you totally shocked by that? Yeah. Yeah. That was not like I'm pretty, you know, I'm a control freak. I make my plans really well. And that wasn't like part of this plan that I had made at all. And so they said, yeah, we're going to keep you overnight. And I thought, okay, whatever overnight. And then I overheard one of the nurses that night talking about how I probably wasn't going to get to go home the next day. And I was like, wait a second. What? <laughs> Be like, that wasn't in the plan. Yeah, that's not the plan. <laughs> no. Wow. And what was it like going during because it was during COVID? What was that experience like finding out and then staying in the hospital? It was super challenging. It was weird because you know, as much as we heard about COVID and everything on the on the news and how hospitals were being overrun and everything. In the hospital, it was almost like a bubble where nobody actually really talked about COVID, weirdly enough. Mm. But it was challenging because there were certain restrictions, like I couldn't have any visitors. And, you know, that's a tough thing to go through completely alone, especially when you don't know, like the doctors don't give you any indication of when you might be able to leave. So I had no idea when I was going to get to see anybody again. That's got to be really hard. And yeah, what was that was really the hardest part of it. All I can think is that, you know, you went to the hospital hoping that that would just be your final thing. There's so many people who fall through the cracks, right? There's so many people who are sent away when they shouldn't be and yeah. they kept you and that was, you know, the right thing to do. So it's it's just like you're you're glad that they they kept you, right? <laughs> like yeah. otherwise yeah. you would have just been another person who who fell through the cracks of the mental health system. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many and and I hear stories about it all the time. And I have people ask me like, why you? Why not my brother? Why not my Mm -hmm. mom? How did they fall through the cracks? And I have no easy answers for that. Like, I don't know. I just know that I do what I do in the hopes that someday, you know, people won't look at me as one of the lucky ones. Everybody will get that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. How long were you in the hospital for? Nine days. Were you living alone when you went into the hospital? No, I was living with my partner. Okay. And so did you have a lot of support on the outside once it everything kind of came to light? Yeah, I definitely had a, I would say two friends who knew and my partner who were really supportive. It's a hard thing. Like I think a lot of people don't know what to do or how to act or you know one thing that really struck me about the psych ward compared to the other wards of a hospital is like there's no flowers there's no teddy bears there's no get well cards because nobody knows what to say so yeah I definitely had like my core group of of people but it was it was hard for people and you know I I did honestly lose friends over it because I don't know. They just didn't really feel comfortable, I guess, hanging out with me after that point or just didn't know what to say. I'm not really sure. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's so hard. There's not that much support for the family members. I know exactly, like yeah. my partner looking online, like trying to find information, trying to find even information about like what I was going through mm-hmm. in the hospital because it's so like they, you know, you don't know the processes and things like that, what it's actually like on the inside. And that's part of the reason I wrote my book is to really bring to light like what goes on behind those closed doors because I think if we can strip away the mystery and the fear then hopefully more people will get the the help and the support they need and more people will be able to support their loved ones through it if they have sort of an idea of what might be going on. Yeah and yeah that's true because I wonder how many people don't go to the hospital seeking help just because they don't know what is going to happen once they're there. Yeah, so many unknown. Yeah, Yeah. it's so scary. That's why I think it's so interesting on TikTok, like people who are opening up more about actually being in the hospital for mental health struggles and showing what it's like and kind of trying to break that mystery of what it really is when you go there. It's such a good thing to for people to be able to see like, okay, like I can go there and I can get help. And it's not as scary as maybe it sounds because a lot of us probably think like, movies or yeah, TV one shows, over the you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's not what it's like, you know? No, yeah. no. I mean, there is like drama that goes on for sure. And there's yeah. definitely like tense moments, but I think that the movies make it look like that's just like 24 seven and it's not quite like that. You really like, it can be a super, you get out of it, what you put into it to a certain degree. Mm. For me, like the first little few days I was there, it was like, I was just, biding my time waiting for them to let me out but once I actually started to you know decided that I was going to be an active participant in my treatment plan and things like that you can get a lot out of being in the hospital that you will never get in an outpatient program so they're definitely you know if you can be in a place to take advantage of that there there is huge benefit to it I think. Can you talk a bit about what's it like being an adult who is blind in terms of what's it like being in the dating world? How do you navigate that? Good question. I've Mm -hmm. been out of it for a while because I've been with my partner for like 12 years or something like that now. Wow. Yeah. But for me, it was very much, I just met people like through the things that I love to do. So like I met him in the recording studio. He was the bass player on my second album. Yeah. So just really meeting people like I didn't really do the online thing or anything. I just met people, honestly, a lot through music, I would say. That's probably really good. You know who Molly Burke is. Yes. So I follow her and I love her videos and she did a few videos on sort of on what it's been like dating on Tinder and when do you disclose that you are blind or deaf or whatever it is and there's such an extra layer of navigating people's intentions I think. Yeah, yeah, there absolutely is. Like even meeting like when I was teaching English and I would advertise online to get students because I was teaching like private students. Yeah. And even that would be like super awkward. It's like, when do I tell them? Yeah. And so have you ever had any either funny experiences or adverse experiences of having to disclose that and it not going the way that you hoped? (laughs) Yeah, I had a couple people straight up not believe me because they they were like well 
if you're blind, how are you typing this? You can't be on the internet. And then, like, they literally just stopped talking to me. Like, so I, oh my what gosh. kind of yeah. scam would somebody be like, I'm going to tell them I'm blind and they'll never know? Like, that's so yeah, I don't know. Like, crazy. even on TikTok, I get comments like that. You're faking it because you're responding to comments. Like, what What would I gain from faking oh it? I don't gosh. understand. What's that's the advantage terrible. here? Yeah. Wow. I literally saw a TikTok earlier today with a girl in a wheelchair and all of her comments were like, like she, she kind of put on the screen, like a bunch of her comments and it's like, just get up, like walk, you're, you're faking it. And it's like, what on earth possesses people to say things like this? Like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about bullying in schools, like TikTok. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the anonymity of a keyboard warrior is. Yeah, absolutely. Something else. Do you find going through your day to day life, are you faced with a lot of adversity in the real world? Or do you find that you've sort of, you've got like a community and a, and the way you move about the world, you don't face a lot of it? So I definitely have like my bubble (laughs) of people who, you know, are totally cool with it and honestly don't even really think about it because I'm just me. But I definitely get like glimpses of that adversity when I'm out in public interacting with like strangers. You know, there's a lot of people who won't speak to me directly. Like I'll go to a restaurant with my partner or friends or whatever and they'll be like, what What would she like to eat? Or like what? clothes shopping, like ask her if she likes um, this shirt. <laughs> or like, I'm like, I'm standing right here. Oh or, you know, it's it's hard like in the, in the employment world and things like that, um, talking about disclosing. So you submit a resume. When do you tell somebody you're blind on a job application? Do you tell them right away and risk not getting an interview because they've already made their mind up? Or do you not tell them and you go to the interview and it could potentially be really awkward? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you navigate that? What, what, What have you found is like the best practice for that? It's hard. I I don't know that I have found the perfect way to navigate that. Usually I've been fortunate in that some of my, like one job that I had my first job was actually, I was uh, working in a web development company as an accessibility tester. So, I mean, that was, (laughs) that made it pretty easy to disclose. Yeah. So I think it depends like what, what the job you're going for is it's challenging to find entry-level positions because of things like you know how are we going to use a cash register things like that so Mm -hmm. definitely like when my friends were getting jobs as a teenager it was more challenging for me just because of what those entry-level jobs usually required what kind of jobs did you have when you were younger so I started actually in music pretty young so I was making money like doing gigs and recording and things like that so I was lucky there apart from that I had that job in accessibility I taught accessibility like adaptive technology a lot to other blind people so I I sort of did especially for like the the earlier until I gained more work experience did a lot of that kind of stuff where it didn't really matter if I was blind or sighted and it actually was kind of an advantage in terms of testing 
accessibility in like the real world and things like that because I think a lot of people when they're working in web design they'll they'll test their sites but they don't actually really know how to use a screen reader or they're still looking at the screen while they do it so that's kind of giving them input so it could be advantageous in certain situations yeah a hundred percent I couldn't imagine somebody asking me to judge the usability of something like a screen reader when I am a sighted person like to me that would yeah. just make no sense I would be totally biased and be like yeah this seems great <laughs> yeah it's fine yeah. I can still uh, use my mouse click around as reading it what more do you yeah. want <laughs> yeah because nobody really knows how to use them unless you're using them every day yeah it's probably been pretty interesting for you, like being born in the 80s, because you would you've probably seen a really big increase in like adapted devices and the technology available, right? Yeah, totally. And so much of it is mainstream now, which is amazing because the cost of specialized adaptive tech is ridiculous. Yeah. One of my first careers, I worked for a nonprofit and one of my colleagues was blind and I guess, well, we laugh now about it, but nobody told me that she was blind and she knew the office so well she didn't move around the office with like a cane or anything. And yeah. one day I had a cart just sitting in oh, the no. hallway not, and it was a really low cart and I wasn't even thinking about it. And I was just watching her walk towards it. And it wasn't until she was almost tripping over it that somebody was like, move the cart. She's blind. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I was like blown away. But it was, she was, she was so interesting to talk to because she was older. And so talking about some of the adaptive devices that were available then versus when she was younger. And even when hybrid cars came out, she hated it because she was like, I can always hear a car coming if I'm crossing the road. (laughs) Yeah, but when they're hybrid, they're so quiet, you don't hear them. And so, yeah, all these technological things were coming out to help her, but also technology was advancing and hindering her like in hybrid cars and things like that. So I thought that was really, I thought that was really, and even touch screens. I remember she was really stressed out because they didn't have the, like iPhones didn't just automatically come with these like adaptive programs or screen readers like they do now. And everybody was getting smartphones and she was navigating that. Like, I can't use one because I don't have Oh, that's so true. She didn't have the buttons. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever used um, a service animal? I have. Yes. I had a guide dog for a number of years. I retired her and she passed away a couple of years ago. It was was awesome. Like a lot of people ask, like, why don't you have one now? And for me, it was awesome. Like mobility wise. I mean, there's not really a guy between a guide dog and a cane. There's not really one that is quote-unquote better than another I think most people have their preferences for me I loved the mobility aspect of it but I have really bad social anxiety so being out in public all the time with a dog like everybody stops to talk to you all the time and starts asking like invasive personal questions about your life after they ask you oh what's the dog's name or like oh can I pet the dog and then they get mad if you say no or so like the the strain that it put on me in public socially just wasn't I couldn't make it I couldn't justify it yeah that's I never even considered that that there's this added pressure but like also I'm disappointed that more people don't just know like if I see somebody with a service dog I just know 
that I'm not supposed to approach it, touch it. At, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. I don't know. I don't Treat know where like I learned that. a wheelchair or, you know, any yeah. other mobility device. Just You wouldn't go up to somebody and be like, oh, can I touch your wheelchair? Or can I touch your cane? It's so nice. I just want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I am a dog lover. I get so excited when I see a service dog. And I always have to have the talk with myself that like, no, Carling, you know better. You're not supposed to, <laughs> yeah. like, you're not supposed to like acknowledge it. You can't ask to touch it. That's very rude. But I just want to go and snuggle them all the time. Like, you know, yeah, it's like, hard. I hate that people still do that. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I, I had a sign on her harness that said like service dog, please don't pet or something like that with like the graphic of like the hand with the slash through it or whatever. Yeah. And people would like literally be reading the sign as they pet her and they'd, they'd be <laughs> oh, like, please God. don't pet. So, oh, but I can't help it. You're too cute. <gasps> That's terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so what was your journey going into music? So I don't know that there was like really a time where I wasn't involved in music. I remember being like a toddler and I had one of those heavy, stupid Fisher Price like tape recorders with the microphones on the side. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know you guys. Yeah. And I would like carry that around everywhere with me and like make up songs and stories and things like that. I remember being six years old and my brother said he would lend me a hundred dollars to record an album, which like if anybody's recorded an album, a hundred dollars will <laughs> not even buy you like an hour of studio time. But but when you're yeah. that age, it's gonna do everything you need it to do. Exactly. Yeah. Like a hundred dollars, yeah. like a million dollars. <laughs> and he wasn't being like doing it out of the goodness of his his heart, he was going to charge me like 30% interest or something like that. Um, So yeah, like I always played music and I started taking it more seriously when I was in my early teens to try and deal with some of my mental health challenges because there were all these like huge complicated emotions and I would sit down at the piano and I would write lyrics and stuff and And I could sort of make sense of things that way. And when I was 15, I went into a regional talent competition in Alberta. And one of the judges on the final, on the panel for the the finals was a producer. And he came up to me backstage and he was like, I really love the song you played. Why don't we talk about recording something? And I was like super flattered and humbled, but I didn't actually think anything was going to happen because I was 15 and you know, just thought it was one of those things that people say. But three weeks later, we were in the recording studio recording my first album. So it was so crazy to go from like the high school band room to the world of like this professional music studio with these professional musicians and everything in the space of like three weeks. It was crazy. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. That's really cool. And so do you, so did you then go to performing live gigs? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So I started performing. Then my second album came out. I did a lot of performing, more performing, moved to South America for a while, came back, recorded another album, did more performing. You go to South America because (laughs) of your music? No, no. I just, I wanted to, I sort of grew up in Canada surrounded as much as possible by the Latin American community in Canada. And I really kind of noticed that they treated me differently like more just like a person like they were just okay with me they asked fewer questions but they just sort of observed and were just like way more intuitive about my blindness so I wanted to go to South America to really be like immersed 
in that inclusion and to be different for a different reason, you know, to be the girl from Canada instead of always being the blind girl. Wow, that's amazing. And did you go by yourself? No, I went, I I dragged my partner along, convinced (laughs) him that. Look, there are worse things I would be dragged to do. Yeah, I would totally do that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was wow. Awesome. And so, what do you do with your music now? Do you are you making a new label? Are you where can people find your music? Yeah, it's it's on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, basically anywhere you listen to music. My new album just came out right at the end of January, and it's basically sort of really gets into what my book talks about so essentially almost like a musical translation of like the album's called if I could but everybody jokes that it should be called holding on by letting go the musical because that's the name of my book so it really talks about you know the time that I spent in psychiatric care and just my journey even since getting out of the hospital what what that's been like and I'm really just talk to my former self and I talk to the people we've lost to mental illness and I talk to the people that we can still help. Oh, wow. wow. That's incredible. Thank you. How do you manage your mental health now, like on, on a daily basis? It's definitely still a challenge and I think it will always be a challenge. I know when I got out of the hospital, so many people are like, oh, so you're all better now. Like, you know, going right. to have a broken bone reset or something and it doesn't really yeah. work that way. Like, getting out of the hospital honestly like that's when the really hard work begins because Mm -hmm. you're not in a safe environment you're in the real world you don't have the psych nurses reminding you of good coping mechanisms every 15 Mm -hmm. minutes so you're you're really kind of on your own I mean they give you some you know transition support and things like that back into the community but by and large, you're on your own to deal with it. And you really have to remember what you learned in the hospital. And for me, it's something, you know, practicing cognitive behavioral therapy, practicing mindfulness, meditation, all these, you know, relaxation techniques, grounding exercises. It's something that I have to do every single day, because if I Mm -hmm. slack on it, I really notice. And I think a lot of people think that mental health is like a destination it's not (laughs) it's a journey and it's a journey that we I think have to reaffirm every single day yeah absolutely yeah wow that's incredible yeah I just looked up on Apple Music and I found you yeah (laughs) I love that so your newest album is called If I Could yes yeah that's great the artwork is amazing thank you yeah, my partner wow. did that. We we had fun doing it. We just like went out into the garage and like I stood in front of a green screen for a while, froze froze my butt off and we just <laughs> took a bunch of pictures and, and then he kinda like digitized that picture, I guess, and came yeah. up with that. What made you want to start posting on TikTok? It was actually my best friend. She's like, Oh, there's so many like accounts about mental health and disability and music and like you could and writing you could wrap all of those things up into kind of this one account and you should totally do it and I was like terrified because I was like there's so many mean people on TikTok I don't know But, (laughs) but I started posting and and by and large people I mean the more videos or more videos you make the more views you get on a video the more jerks come out of the woodwork to But by and large, it's been a really supportive, open community. And I really love that. It's kind of been 
almost a good psychological experiment for me because I've spent so much of my life obviously unsuccessfully trying to hide that I was blind. Like I remember being Mm. on the playground with that bully when I realized and I made a promise to myself that day that I was going to find a way to keep it a secret from everybody. So it was kind of this thing that that I was always, I guess, ashamed of to to a point and something I tried to hide, which I was obviously unsuccessful at, which just made me feel like I was failing all the time. And if I just tried harder. So coming on TikTok and being like really open about it has been super challenging for me, but also kind of rewarding to see like okay there are good people out there who who are accepting of it and who want to learn and and who have positive things to say about it and just being like less apologetic about who I am I think I learned from a young age you can't teach people who don't want to learn but yeah Yeah. I think you're right like the trolls are not very original they all say the same same things and they think they're so clever and everything and it's like oh haven't heard that 50,000 times before I could job (laughs) yeah you got me with a new one (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's amazing so what's next for you you've written a book you've got albums out you're blowing up on tiktok I, I mean, you're more accomplished than us, so I think you're, you're good to retire. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, retirement sounds nice, though. I don't know what comes next. I would really like to, you know, now that things are kind of opening up more with COVID, I would like to do a bit of a tour, but not in like the traditional sense. I really want to incorporate my music and my story into like kind of almost a presentation to try and reach more people from different demographics because you you know you have the people who you can reach through music and then the people you can Mm -hmm. reach through writing so to really combine that thing into one and and go around to different places you know even maybe like rehab facilities or or groups with people who are struggling with the things that I struggled with to kind of show them through music and through writing you know you you can get through this there is light after what you're going through right now because I know it's it's super hard to believe it when you're going through it and then just hopefully write more music keep releasing music because I love I love writing I love recording I love the collaboration with other musicians it's you know the the studio is my happy place I've really seen how it has been for other people as well Mm -hmm. so to be able to share that with more people yeah and I think to really tell people because I think when I was really like in my worst place I'd go on like Instagram and stuff and you see the influencers and they're like oh I was in a really bad place but I'm all better (laughs) now and it's like okay but what did that actually look like how did you get from point A to point B I think sometimes sharing our darkness I think people don't want to because they think it might hurt people Uh more but I know for me like sharing having somebody share that their darkness with me and how they got through it is so much more helpful than some influencer on Instagram being like oh I really suffered but now my life is great yeah everything's perfect such a gift that you have to be able to use now to help bring uh, awareness to mental health and help people who are dealing with it now in a real raw way 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel so fortunate to be able to do it. And I really feel like it, it helps me to do it because it gives me a purpose. It gives me a reason to get up every day because I know when I start to lose my sense of purpose is when I really start to backslide. So, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it, it hopefully helps other people and it really helps me to do it. So. Absolutely. That's cool. I think you're, you're so inspiring and you're still so young. Like, to, to have accomplished so much at such a young age and been through so much. I'm excited to see what else what else you do. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a, it's an exciting place to be at, I think. So it's yeah. nice to be in a place where you can look forward to tomorrow because there was a lot of points where I was just, I couldn't even think about tomorrow because I didn't know how I was going to get through the next minute. Oh, well, we are so glad you're here. And thank we you thank so you much. so much for taking time out of your day and especially on a weekend to to sit with us and tell your story yes thank you <laughs> thank you guys for giving me the chance to share my story all right oh my gosh. heather well thank you so much we'll let you get on with your day and we will talk really soon awesome thank you guys so much thank awesome you. okay talk soon bye bye okay michelle hey carling heather thank you so much Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was so amazing to chat with her. She's lived such a such a full life and has so much I to know. say and so much she to share. She has a freaking memoir. I know. What I don't have we done there, with our lives? There would be large chunks of time in my memoir that I would just be like, and now we're going to skip to chapter 27 because yeah, like nothing. Have, or like I have no I, I have no memory of my 20s. Like <laughs> I don't I'll know. Like, what allegedly happened. I was a preteen and I have no memories of this. Yeah. Moving on to my late 20s when I got my first <laughs> fake ID. Moving on to your 20s when you got your first fake ID. No late. Maybe I said 20s but I meant late teens. <laughs> you know what? I don't know. You guys. We're doing great right, you guys. I'm sleepy and and I'm going to go over to my dad's wife's house tonight and look through some of his stuff. Oh, well, that sounds fabulous. Really uplifting, I think, you know, just absolutely. Uh, that'd be really great. But what did I just say I was going to say for the outro? Oh, you and Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay and I, after you posted some stories and photos yesterday mm-hmm. of my body, <laughs> I. <laughs> that sounds so bad. <laughs> Oh, you mean that naked photo shoot that I did of you? Of uh, yeah. <laughs> I decided that enough is enough, and I've really just eaten all of my grief and stress. Okay. And I'm trying to I'm trying to talk in like a body positive way, but like I don't like the current size of my body. <laughs> It's not serving me. It's like I'm like more tired and I'm not as mobile and I'm, you know, like I'm not walking as much and I just need to take better care of my body. And so I was telling Lindsay and she's like, yeah, like, yeah, I need to like stop eating so much junk and yeah, all this stuff. And I was like, okay, like we really need to come up with a plan. We're really good at supporting each other, but we just got Mm -hmm. into like a bad habit of skip the dishes and apple crisp. This has been our downfall. Oh, apple crisp. Where are you getting that from? Just like the store, Sobeys, apple crisp with ice cream. (laughs) Mm -hmm, You know mm -hmm. who doesn't need apple crisp with ice cream every day? Like anybody. Yeah, anybody, Um, yeah. 
But so last night I was like, you know, I just, this was right after we ate McDonald's and I was like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like, you know, tomorrow being Sunday, let's cut, let's go grocery shopping. We'll like come up with a plan. Mm. We're really good. We love cooking together. We love, yeah, yeah. we love protein. We just kind of got into a bad habit. And so, but I was like, but you know, I think in preparation, the best thing to do would be to eat the rest of that apple crisp tonight. Oh, you have to eat all the junk food in your house. We have to get it so out of the that house. you don't have it anymore. Absolutely. I'm not into that's, that's the rule. Yeah. No. You eat all <laughs> so, the bad things today, so then tomorrow you can start fresh. Yeah. So last night we had half an apple crisp and a lot of ice cream. <laughs> Just, you know, really getting our house ready in preparation. Absolutely. And, and you although, know what's great is that your grief is pretty much gone, so you don't even yeah. have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, I've decided I'm done processing it and I'm ready to move on and move forward. <laughs> and, you know, instead of pouring myself into vats of ice cream and mm -hmm. Thai Express, I'm going to pour it into salads and protein and working out. I love it. I love that journey for you. Thanks. So stand by because... <laughs> You're not even the next time I do a thing. naked photo shoot of you, it's going to be very different. <laughs> oh, Lord. You guys, we never talked about our Patreon, really, in our intro. Patreon? Who's she? She sounds gorgeous. Oh, God. Okay. Well, Debbie, Debbie Farrington. I was going to wrote... say Fogelton. Ooh, that I like that. Close. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Debbie Fogelton actually wrote in and... She wrote in on Facebook and said, ladies, I am not satisfied with the frequency of your posting. I need more of you than once a week. I've listened to all okay. your episodes. You're so funny. Where can I get more? And I said, Debbie, thank you so much for reaching out. I want to point you in the direction of our Patreon. And for as little as $5 a month, you can get access to over 52 episodes today whoa and was and debbie like that's too much i don't want that well no she said okay <laughs> where do i sign up send me the link and oh, so i okay, said okay. you're gonna go to patreon.com slash i did not sign up for this and you're gonna literally sign up for it yeah and yeah. it's a really great way of supporting the work that we do and carling's apple crisp addiction <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Someone's got to pay for it. Your one month of five or seven dollars literally buys me an apple crisp. I love but that. Instead of apple crisp, it's now going to be a protein shake. Okay. So Debbie signed up right away. And she that. said she has never made such a great decision. <laughs> so Debbie, thank you for your support. <laughs> This is why we don't have advertisers. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So on our Patreon and then so we just got an episode last week dropped. We do two episodes a month. Mm -hmm. And these are episodes that you're never going to hear on our main feed. And in next Patreon episode in a week, we're going to be talking about things that irrationally embarrass us. Yes. Embarrass us and make us angry. Rage. Yeah. That's like I'm excited for that. On that. I mean, it's going to be like a. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right. Well, I hope this time change 
was okay for everybody. I don't. <laughs> I hope you have the day you deserve. Exactly. <laughs> My God, we're punchy today. Woo! All right. Okay. Follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, TikTok. We made some really funny TikToks. We did. This we weekend. Did. So yeah. check them out. And check them out. Yeah. I hope everybody has a really great week, despite what Michelle okay. says. Oh, I do too. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good one. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.